Welcome to Pursue Ministries. You're listening to Men's Fraternity, Session 15, Man and His Daughters. The speaker is Bill Howard. Hey guys, listen, here's where we are. Uh, we're going to talk about a man and his daughters, and then we're going to talk about uh, next session is really a cool session. It's called A Man and His Life Journey. And uh, it will really give you some clarity about where you are in the process of your life. Uh, and where you need to go and help you think a little bit about why you are the way you are with regard to your work and what you need to do. Okay? And then the last session, we're going to briefly talk about a man and his mission. And uh, it's sort of a really big overarching transcendent cause to a man's life with regard to his relationship with God and Christ and the mission he's been sent on by God on planet Earth, okay? Uh, there's an old philosopher, a Greek philosopher, that said an unexamined life is not a life worth living. And unfortunately, as men, we don't stop much and examine and think and reason about our lives. So hopefully, uh, you've gotten a little bit of information with regard to how you relate to your dad, your mom, lack of mentors, other men, um, you know, God, your relationship with Him, and maybe somehow you've related to all those relationships in the past, maybe some things you need to do here in the present, and then maybe some thought about what do you want to do in the future. Uh, and if you've got a son and a daughter and a wife, uh, if you're not married, uh, you know, hopefully you've seen that there's a journey as a man that can be very strategic with regard to your presence on the planet and the legacy you're going to leave because that's part of the uh, definition of a man. It's reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and expect the greater reward, God's reward. Okay? All right. Well, how many in this room have daughters? How many of you have a wife? But here's the deal. You got to remember, guys, if you're married, you're married to a daughter. Okay? She's somebody's daughter. And if you're married and you've had a daughter, then even more importantly, uh, that little girl is not anybody's daughter. That's your daughter. So this session is how does a man relate to his daughter? And you'll see that as much as we've given a definition to manhood in this session, we're going to give a de definition of womanhood. And if you've got a daughter as much as you would want to tell your son, son, a real man is the one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, expects God's greater reward. <clears throat> You'll have a definition after this of what you can teach your daughter of what a real woman is. Okay? So that's where we're going here. Uh, in regard to daughters and sons, just want to make a few comments with regard to sons and daughters, and that is that there are some differences, notably many in life, but specifically in this session, we want to mark two differences that are, I think, worth noting. First is that, and this is not in your notes, guys, but the first difference between daughters and sons is, is that daughters are generally more stable than sons in life. Uh, girls, in their development, is they're naturally less disruptive or disrupted. Uh, 
in their natural development. Uh, in other words, a boy has no reminder of why he's on the planet. And so when he gets to about 12 or 13 and things start changing and the hormones start raging and he's going, what am I on the planet for? And they start doing crazy things and ah, let's go write graffiti somewhere. Let's go beat somebody up. Let's go do something. Well, see, women, when they hit 12, 13, they, when they go through puberty, something remarkable happens in their body. And it's something that reminds them very clearly of why they're on the planet. In, in other words, it's a very natural function where they start a monthly cycle that reminds them every month that they've got the ability to do something. Now, if you ask a little girl when she's little, what do you want to do when you would grow up? Most little girls are going to say what? I want to be a mommy. I just... How many little boys, if you ask a little boy, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a daddy. Doesn't happen much, right? See, he's not thinking that way. Little girls are. So they're naturally more stable. And if they are left on a natural course, they're going to generally fall into a sense of why they're on the planet and something more natural that they fit. Whereas boys get out of control and become violent, addictive, abusive, disruptive in a culture. And so uh, girls also are more healthy than boys in life. Didn't know if you knew that. Girls live longer. There, there are more boys born every year. However, at the end of life, there are many more girls. They just live longer. Uh, girls have fewer psychological distresses in life. Again, there's more of a natural flow in life that fits how they're here on the planet. Uh, they have less emotional problems than men. Uh, fewer suicides are committed by girls than boys. And much fewer crimes are committed by women than men. Okay? Uh, secondly, not only are daughters more stable, but daughters are more personally secure than sons in life. Uh, and again, it's because of this innate transcendent cause that reminds them of why they're on the planet and a, and a cause that is unquestionably uh, very significant. And that is that they are the suppliers of human life on the planet. And they know it in their soul. And so there's a deep longing for a woman to get pregnant. If you're married, uh, as, as I am, uh, I never realized the intensity of what a woman would feel for wanting to have a child until she can't have one. And in our family, before we had our first son, uh, we had three consecutive miscarriages. And boy, I saw my wife just go through misery, torment, honestly, with the uh, a possibility of never having a child. It was very scary and uh, quite difficult because in her soul, she knows that that's something she's wired to do and she deeply wants it. Uh, if you're a husband, 
I always tell new husbands, if you get married, what you don't want to do, uh, because when you do get married, one of the things that happens is after marriage and your honeymoon is you start having sex, right? And one of the products of having sex is children. And I always tell guys, if you get pregnant on your honeymoon, what you don't want to do is if your wife comes about a month or two after your honeymoon and says, honey, I'm pregnant, you don't want to go, what? <laughs> that is not going to be a good thing. And I tell guys, listen, if you want to screw up, just react that way. Because <laughs> everything in her soul goes, yes. And if you go, no, you're going to have conflict right off the bat and hurt her deeply. So it makes sense? And so it's clear then that women, daughters, know why they're here. And... Um, but again, for men, there's no natural course. So that's why we've always said men need to learn to live not by his reason or instinct, but by the instruments of God, his revelation. Because men need to be directed, and that's why men need to submit to Christ, their king, because when men don't have a leader... Uh, we are by nature warriors, and warriors without a king become very dangerous. And so they become terrorists and blowing up everything from buildings to families, if they're not careful. Okay, so let's talk about uh, three challenges then that undermine your daughter's femininity in her culture today, and this introduction of the new womanhood, which has been occurring now for about the past... 30 or 40 years, really uh, began to dig in in the mid-60s, 1960s in our culture. But uh, as much as men have been lost, guys, in our career, in our transcendent cause of why we're on the planet, uh, in the last 30 years, women have been lost too. And there is a sense where uh, women have moved from a natural pursuit of being a wife and a mom to this new womanhood of work and career. There's probably not many women for you younger guys that you're going to meet who's not thinking very deeply about their life, job, and career. In fact, you may or may not be part of that. In fact, you may, if you're going to date her, need to fit into that. And if you don't, you're not going to work for her. Does that make sense? <laughs> Let me tell you, that's not healthy. It's not healthy for you, it's not healthy for her, and it's not healthy for her culture. Because what will happen, and what is happening, is it becomes, everything becomes more distorted with regard to our identity and our createdness. We are created by God, male and female. And so what happens is women are taught then to come into our culture not to complete a man, but to compete with a man. Okay, now, if you're a dad and you have a daughter, I don't have any daughters, I got four boys, and I'm speaking principally, you guys. But if I had a daughter, 
I can tell you this. It would be very difficult for me to take my little girl, if I had one, and say, hey, honey, I want you to know that your transcendent cause in life is to be a wife and a mom, to come alongside a man and the two of you team up to accomplish a mission on this planet that your creator has called you to do together. But, but your process to come along and support him and encourage him and admire him and to be a mother with his children and the two of you accomplish this mission. Okay, how's that sound, guys? There's probably not many of you as a dad go, I'm going to teach my daughter that. Why? Because you know what men are made of. And you know that most men in our culture today have no clue how to care for a woman. Right? So what are you going to do as a dad? I'm going to teach her to be independent, self-oriented, strong, courageous. I want her to act like a man. I, don't want, I want her to be independent of men. I don't want her to be hurt by a man. I want her to have her own life because you know what? Mm. That's just the way it is in our culture today, right? So I wanted to get educated and get a career and think about bigger things, transcendent things, not being a wife and a mom. Are you kidding me? And see, we've lost it, haven't we? So what we're doing is we're launching daughters out into the marketplace with this very strong sense that they're not on the planet to come alongside and complete a man. They're on the planet to be independent of man and to compete with the man. Because in our culture today, equality for a woman means sameness. Sameness. So in other words, if a woman is the same as a man, then she's equal to a man. See, here's the deal. Men and women are not the same. We're very different. Uh, we've done it now to our military. Uh, we're doing it, we've done, already did it, did it to the marketplace and so on to where uh, there is this competition occurring and the result, the, 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 what, what is it, the wake of that movement are marriages that Basically, one out of every two that start today end in divorce. Let me tell you guys, it's not just because of men. It's because there's a lot of women coming into a marriage that don't see the need for a man in a biblical way. They see, them since, they see themselves as here to compete rather than complete. Okay? And so in male and female, what you have, and if I could say it this way, in a created order, God is a creator. If you disrobed a man and a woman, it's always funny when I teach this to singles, they always kind of freak out. But if you disrobe them, you'll discover that a man has a natural function for the woman. And that is he is to, if life is going to start, he has to have an erection and move into the woman. By contrast, the woman is clearly made to receive the man. And she has a natural function to do so. 
And she is in a, a submissive position where she receives the man. You see that? I'm telling you, even the animals figure that stuff out. But human beings, we're like, no, no, no. I do not want to be that way. I don't want to be that way. And so the culture says, let's make us all the same. Well, I would just say to people, just take your clothes off. You're not the same. <laughs> You're not the same. You're created. And a woman has a certain function to her body that represents that there's a cause that transcends her, that she is made, she has the ability to carry life. She can't do that on her own. Now you got women today in Hollywood that are doing it all the time. They're trying to adopt these kids and they don't want men. And, uh, right? It's crazy. Crazy. Now, here's why it's crazy, guys, today. Because some, uh, the challenge of the new Supreme Pursuit here, some perspectives. Where did this come from? Well, here's where it came from. Uh, because what you see is something that has come out of our culture in the mid-60s, okay? For example, I want you to listen to a couple things. And I'm just telling you this, guys. If you're a dad and you've got a wife and you're a dad of a daughter, you need to talk to your wife about this. But in 1963, Betty Friedan, who was a leader of the modern feminist movement, she wrote a book called The Feminine Mystique. And uh, it was about a woman's femininity was not an asset to her, but a cruel joke played on women by men, which you kind of go, how can a man create a woman feminine? See, she's not mad at men, is she? Who's she mad at? God. She just didn't say it. And she said that uh, the femininity that a woman possesses is not a special power, but a delusion to keep women suppressed by men. And so here's what she said, quote, once a woman begins to see through these delusions of the feminine mystique, she will realize that neither her husband nor her children nor the things in her house nor sex nor being like any other woman can give her a self. She calls homemakers parasites. Okay? Now, you might go, wow, that was a radical... I mean, does it sound radical today? It doesn't, does it? You hear it. All you guys watch TV. If you watch TV today, guys, where are the men leading on TV today? Well, usually not even in the movie. It's usually some man left a mom, and then it's a mom and a son or a mom and a daughter on a journey, and the whole movie's about the mom and the daughter who are been left alone to make life work, right? All these Christmas shows, if you just look at your TV, they're all shows about some woman somewhere journeying around trying to find her identity and her career or whatever it is without a man. Any show that has marriage related to it, usually the guy is an absolute dingbat, Right? See, what she started sound radical back in the 60s. Today, listen, we're living it out today. It's, it's all there today. 
Listen to uh, Germaine Greer, 1970, a book written called The Female Eunuch. Uh, in the book said that motherhood is a handicap and pregnancy is an illness. Uh, Gloria Steinem, if you ever heard of her, she is a more of a modern feminist. She said enlightened women, you can just hear this, an enlightened woman must escape the drudgery and oppression of home and husband. In other words, it's almost like you could look at, if I had a room for a ladies right now, I'd say, hey ladies, listen, if you really got life, if you're enlightened, if you really understand why you're on the planet, it's not to be in a home and to be connected to a husband or submit yourself to a man. That, listen, ladies, you do that, I'm telling you, you are second class. You have missed it. You've missed your calling. Now, let me tell you guys, where did that voice start? Where did it start historically? Yeah. It started in the garden at the beginning. You see, the apple is still being delivered every day to a woman. For her to say, by our culture, which the Bible says, Jesus clearly said, Satan is the God of this world. He who makes himself a friend of this world is an enemy to God. And women are receiving the apple every day. And that is this, you can be like God, equal, same, if you take a bite of this freedom, this independence, this fine life, you can be like God. You see that? It's all in here. It's just, it's all played out right here. And so uh, what's crazy is now what you have is you've got, um, you know, uh, Annika Sorenstam playing PGA events. Uh, you've got Danica Patrick racing cars, competing with men. Why are these? Here's the deal. It's not that they can't do it. That's not the issue. The question is why? Why? You see, here's the thing, guys. What women think is that a career and all those things give a woman power, prestige, and freedom and here's the question, from who? See that? From men. That's the deal. Now, I'm just saying this because you might be married to a wife that really has bought into this. And I'm, I'm just telling you, if you're a man and you're trying to lead a woman who's bought into this, is really, really hard. And God bless you, that's all I can tell you. You've got your work cut out to love a woman who really is saying by biting that apple, she's unwilling to be loved. Now, it could be she's been hurt by a man. She's been hurt by her dad. She never saw a, an honorable, good man. And so she's mad about it. A lot of women like that out there. And so you talk about any of this stuff in a biblical notion it's just, boy, it's going to raise, as one woman told me, the feminine hackles on the back of her neck. Wow. Right? Well, uh, Sharon Stone, listen, Sharon Stone, anybody know about her? Beautiful woman. Here's what she said. See, this is the confusion this movement has created for women today. She really describes it right here. She said, the choice for me today 
is to be feminine or equal. Do you hear that? The choice for me today is to be feminine, just to be who I am, to enjoy my creativeness, or to be equal and to fight with men in particular. And so that's kind of where we are. Now, how did we get there? Well, we got there because of crazy people like this started putting this stuff out on the marketplace and women said, yeah, just like Eve. Yeah, you're right. I don't need that guy. I mean, I'm so tired of that guy. Now, have men shot an air ball with women? Absolutely. So what you have is you've got a lot of wounded women who are really, really mad. But you know, you got this apple that's been given to them and they're going, I like that. It gives me something to fight, which is men in general. And it's crazy because sometimes when you get married to a woman who believes this stuff, it's very, very difficult until Jesus Christ interrupts her soul. Well, uh, in our culture, here's what happens. In the wars, and particularly in our culture in 1940s, we entered into a world war. And if you recall, Pearl Harbor was bombed. We thought, um, and it's interesting because I, I'm very familiar with it because my dad fought in World War II, and his birthday was December 7th which was the day Pearl Harbor was bombed. So every, every birthday of my dad, I was reminded of Pearl Harbor. And uh, listening to the story from my dad and mom, they thought the Japanese were coming to the land. Okay, So immediately, every man in America went, let's go to war. I'm telling you, it was like right now, because remember they didn't have all the technology back then? We didn't know what was going on. And all of a sudden, the rumor comes, the Japanese are coming. And they want to kill us. Guys, get your guns. <laughs> it was like that. And every man rose up. And guess where they went? Every available man went to war. It was a major. It's a world war. And so here's what happened. Something happened. There was a huge sucking sound after December 7th, 1941. And it was, it was the vacuum of, of the departure of men to war, which meant that women were left to run the culture. Now, it's not only true of our culture, but I'm going to read something here. It, I think it might be in your notes, isn't it? Is it in your notes? Yeah. Right, let's read this here. Uh, it's from Peter Blitchington. And he said, uh, what caused the Roman family system to collapse? Because guys, every great culture had a rise and a fall. And the Roman, the Babylonian, the Greek, and the American culture are all going to crumble, have crumbled, and so is ours. Not because of some enemy that has come from without and destroyed us from within. It's because every great culture crumbles from within itself. It, it crumbles itself. 
because the chicken wire, so to speak, you think about concrete. And I remember going to Haiti. You know why Haiti had so many people die in the earthquake? They didn't have any rebar in the concrete. And so when the, when the earth started to shake, there was nothing supporting that. And so just everything just crashed. And people died of limbs being crushed and gangrene more than anything. That's how they died. Because there was no rebar in the, in the concrete. And so that's why if you watch buildings, you'll see if they're going to pour concrete, they got rebar stuck all over in it. Why is that there? So that when things start rattling, the concrete doesn't just fall apart. Right? And see, the, the family unit, the relationship between a man and a woman called marriage is rebar. It's sociological rebar. And when that's disrupted, all of a sudden, it, everything starts to shake. And guess what happens to a great culture, a great empire? It just starts to crumble. And now here's, here's where the, the shaking began. And we're going to use the Roman family, but I want you to see here, guys, just transpose World War II in America on this observation, okay? What caused the Roman family system to collapse? The answer is that it's simple, the same things that caused the American family system to fall apart. Divorce, relaxed standards, adultery, promiscuity, loss of respect for children and child rearing, the decline in status of parenthood all accomplished the weakening of the Roman family. But it was the sexual problems that precipitated its decline. In other words, the challenge of what am I as a man and a woman? All of a sudden, in just a few years, Roman sex role patterns departed from a law of complementary to competition. And when that happened, the Roman system came tumbling down. Rome's sex role disruptions were caused by the Punic Wars. These wars were fought with Carthage, Rome's long-term enemy. They lasted about 30 years. During this 30-year period of warfare, most of the young, able-bodied Roman men were uh, required to leave their homes and fight on foreign soil. While they were gone, the management of their estates, their household, their businesses devolved upon their wives. This borrowed power tended to create in Roman women a spirit of independence and self-sufficiency. In a, marriage, in a history of marriage and family, the author, William Goodsell, describes the effect that the Punic Wars had upon the psychology of Roman women. As the men diminished in numbers and as the authority of absent husbands passed to their wives, the social status of women was steadily elevated. Their power, to be sure, was a delegated one and was promptly withdrawn on the return of the family head from foreign campaigns if he did return at all. But this did not in the least prevent its inevitable result, the growth within women. Thus raised the positions of responsibility and power of a sense of their own personal worth and sturdy desire for greater freedom, broader opportunity and influence. All things that aren't wrong in and of themselves, by the way. Such women, Professor Goodsell goes on to say, would submit with ill grace to the restrictions put upon their daily lives and interest imposed by the husband on his return from the war. 
And yet, as the Bible points out repeatedly, it's precisely this willingness. This is where you, it's, you're either a godly woman or not. And it's her willingness of a wife to submit to their husband's authority that is one of the crucial prerequisites for sound marriages and happy homes. Never again, however, was the Roman home to be a place of contentment and commitment once Roman women lost this willingness to submit. And in no other country or culture has the emancipation of women led to a better family system. Guys, you can underline that. Never has there been a matriarchal society ever that's prospered. It is the beginning of the decline of a culture, not a new rise of a culture. And in no, uh, and in no other system has the culture been led in every case, without a single exception, it has been associated with family weakness and unhappiness. But all the blame for the decline of the Roman family system cannot be placed on Roman women. Listen to the men here. Remember, it all starts with the guys. Where men go, so goes the culture. The fathers of Rome lost their high standards of fidelity, commitment, and responsibility within the marital bond. Sound familiar in our culture? Beginning with the senatorial and intellectual classes. That sound familiar. Men and women alike were infected with the dry rot of selfishness and frenzied pleasure-seeking. Does that sound familiar? In consequence, they looked upon the earlier most religious conceptions of family duties and responsibilities and troublesome and outgrown. Does that sound familiar? By the way, guys, it's written probably 30, 40 years ago, this article. Concubinage and prostitution grew by leaps and bounds as men sought to satisfy their passions without assuming the cares of married life. Together, the independence of women and the disillusion of men sent the Roman family system into a state of spiritual and moral degeneracy which it never recovered. Does that sound familiar? Listen, guys, your generation, for most of you, you got your work cut out for you and for your children. Honestly. Because we're in a culture that is degenerate. And you know where it all starts? When the fabric of the culture becomes decayed. And that's the marriage. And what makes a marriage is a man who acts like a man and a woman who acts like a woman. In masculinity and femininity. God created man, male and female, to reflect his image. If I were the devil, that's where I would destroy a culture. You get the family, you get the culture. You see that? So, why am I saying this? Not to freak you out, <laughs> but to give you a sense of sobriety that if you've got a daughter and you've got a wife, the way you act and what you say will create either stability for your daughter or instability for her. I'm just saying this so you'll have understanding. Okay? And we'll talk about how to help her here. So, the challenge of the decline of feminine values training. So, what happens now when women lose their way and men are irresponsible? Well, how does a young girl grow up today? 
to gain a vision for who she is as a wife and a mom. Well, who's supposed to tell her that? Guys, who's supposed to tell a woman that? A daughter. Well, yeah, but it starts with the mom, right? The mom. But if the mom's working and gone all day long, see these, these little girls that are latchkey kids? The only vision they see of a mom, see, she will not grow up knowing how to cook. She will not grow up watching a mom and a dad relate in a healthy way. All she'll learn is, I got I to gotta protect myself. I got to get a career. And that's all she's going to learn. And when she gets pregnant and has a baby, she's going, oh, you'll find this today. Women don't know what to do. They don't know how to parent. And it's so crazy today because a lot of people get kids and they're like, there's no model for parenting. <laughs> they don't have a clue because they haven't seen it. All they've seen was their experience. Does that make sense? And so, by the way, there's great strategies for parenting that are very biblical, that are very helpful. Just like everything else, you don't have to walk in the dark. There is light. There is information out there. But you're not going to find it easily in our culture. And for a young girl growing up in our culture, her model is her mother. And you've got to ask, well, what's, what's she modeling? By the way, the best model for a young woman is your marriage. The way you and your wife are relating. And so your wife uh, has the need to be calling your daughter to the pursuits of natural feminism. This is something you've got to work out with your wife. Talk to your wife about this. Because it's, that's her job to begin to teach your daughter those things as well. And so uh, here's what Peter Blitchington goes on to say about some of the importance of the mother-daughter relationship. He said one of the most important characteristics of a mother-daughter relationship is the extent to which it facilitates adequate importance of the maternal role for one of the pivotal points upon which a nation rotates is the interaction between mother and child more than training for achievement com competition and competitive skills or social graces the mother should be concerned with the maternal abilities of her girls In Titus 2, 3 through 5. Guys, you got your Bible? Titus 2, 3 through 5. I want to show you something here. Because if you remember, in the Roman Empire, I think I told you this before, the average Roman woman had four abortions in her lifetime. Uh, it was very common. Uh, women were competing with men. Nothing new. Remember, the Roman culture, what happened to it? We just read about it. They collapsed because of the dis disruption and the distortion, because women, as men became addicted to themselves and irresponsible, women became hurt. They began to pursue their own pursuits uh, away from men and began to compete with men rather than complete a man. And so she just started to going on her own way. Okay. So when most of the New Testament is written, guys, about roles in the New Testament, let me tell you, it is not written in a culture 
when Paul pins the words about how women are to submit to men and men lead and love women, it's not natural. Do you understand that? The culture was not going, the women weren't going, oh, absolutely, I would love to submit to my husband. When he was in Ephesus, it was so offensive, they ran him out of town. Who in the heck are you messing up my life? This Jesus thing. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And so in Titus, uh, I want you to see, uh, Paul is mentoring Titus. There's a, these are, it's a pastoral epistle. We know Paul had at least two guys that he was really uh, mentoring, and these were his protégés, Timothy and Titus. Titus is going to the island of Crete. And uh, there's a word called Cretans. It wasn't a good term. If you're called a Cretan, it meant you were a lazy, gluttonous sluggard as a man. And that's how the men were perceived. You're, if you're a Cretan, it wasn't a good thing. Okay, so the women, by contrast, because of the negligence of men, women were just taken over. And so here's what Paul then tells Titus to tell women who've come to Christ. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love and perseverance. Okay? This is what he's telling Titus to communicate to older men. Now listen to this. Verse 3. Older women, Titus, listen. This is what I want you to tell them. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Why? Watch this now. Verse 4. That these older women may encourage the young women to love their... What? You're kidding me. No way. No way. They need to be teaching young women to be independent of men. They need to be teaching young women to have, to have, to have a career. To find their identity outside of their createdness. In the marketplace. Is that what he's saying? No. <laughs> to teach the young women, to encourage them, watch this, to love their husbands and to love their children. To be sensible, pure, workers in the marketplace. Oh, I'm sorry, workers at home. <laughs> Being subject to their own husbands. Why? That the word of God might not be dishonored. I tell you, it, I don't know how a woman, if she's married, cannot read that and not sense that there's a sense of obligation for her. If she truly is a follower of Jesus Christ. No, if she's not, go, go for it. Do what you're going to do because you're already in disobedience to your creator already. Just as goofy men are. But if you're a follower of Christ, you cannot read that and not come to some kind of an alignment with yourself under the authority of your creator. Right? I don't know, I always say, when I read that, I go, what part of that is not hard to understand if you're married? And now, if you got a daughter, guys, uh, 
There's not much out there encouraging her except the scripture, right? And then the scripture, the truth of the scripture is going to collide with the culture as truth always does. Uh, thirdly here, there's the rise of the absent mom. And uh, this is a big deal, just it was, is the absent father wound. Remember we talked about that? Uh, today, young girls have what's called the absent mother wound. In Proverbs 14.1, it says, A wise woman builds her home, but the foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. And so, the rise of the absent mom, 70% of mothers today with young children are in the marketplace. 70%. Uh, the answer for the new woman, the new moms, you know what it is, guys? Daycare. Child care. Which isn't really, or extended care, which really is more like deprivation care. Honestly. Because nothing, nothing substitutes a mother-child relationship. And if there, this, there were a group of women in here and they were married, they may have a career. But if I say there's nothing more transcendent and substantial than a mother-child relationship, she, would, she may not like to hear it, but she's not going to disagree with it. Right? You cannot substitute a mom and a child. I don't care what kind of cares out there. Mary McCory in the Washington Post writes, it's just a matter of time before we have state nurseries. Sound familiar? By the way, this is about 10, 15 years ago. Which we used to think of as the heartless inventions of Soviet bureaucrats. But moms just can't stay home. Uh, Dr. Burton White, director of preschool project at Harvard said, listen, quote, after more than 30 years of research of how children develop well, I would not think of putting an infant or a toddler of my own into any substitute care program. Now, here's what I do know. I know some women have to work because of financial constraints. All I can tell you is, is if your wife is working because she has to put food on the table, all I can tell you, men, if that's in your, your case, she's resenting you. No, no doubt about it. And in 1 uh, Timothy, I think it's 4, 7 or so, it says that a man who does not provide for his own family is worse than an unbeliever. Uh, and there's smoke coming from the barrel of that gun for a man. It's part of our job to work, <coughs> provide. So that that mother-daughter relationship, mother-child, mother-son relationship can develop early on. It's so fundamental. And um, in, the, in context of this, guys, what you have then as a result is the daughters of the next generation. Which some of you guys may be married to. And that's where home and children are secondary to her pursuit of career that she's ill-equipped in the maternal role to be a mom and she's wounded not by an absent father probably so but also as well by an absent mom because she didn't have a mom to teach her either just like guys if your dad wasn't there you're going god frustrating and so you have women today they're frustrated too 
What can you do? What can a dad do? Well, let's give you some things to do, guys. If, point A, what dads can contribute to their daughters, uh, if he's there, uh, meaning if he's a leading presence in the home, if he's loving his wife and children, not perfectly, but he's there, he's loving them, he's emotionally involved with his daughters. He's creating a, a stable, strong relationship. Here's what he's going to let his daughter leave home with. Number one, his daughter will have three things they can take with them through life. They will become very secure in their identity as a woman. In other words, they're going to be very comfortable in their own skin. You ever seen that commercial? I'm comfortable in my own skin. It'd be great to have that for women. Now, if they, usually if a woman says, I'm comfortable in my own skin, it's, it's not going to be being a wife and a mom. It's because what she's created in the marketplace. But wouldn't it be great to see a wife? I'm comfortable as a wife and a mom. The good thing is there's a lot of movement right now in our culture going back to this, guys. That is encouraging, by the way. Because women have gotten to the place where they, they realize, you know what? That, it's not all wrapped up as it's supposed to be. I recall one time I was uh, in Costco. My wife and I were in Costco. There was a woman and she was pushing a cart. And there in the cart was a, the, the cutest dang baby. And that baby was sitting there and boy, she was just absolutely... You'd have thought she won the lottery. And she was very, very dressed, very well, very good-looking woman, very professional-looking, just lit up. And so Terry and I were there, and I just walked over and I said, you are full of joy. And I said, why are you so happy? She, boy, she turned to me. And this is exactly what she said. She goes, because this is the last day of my work. <laughs> it's exactly what she said. Now I get to be with him and I'm celebrating with my baby. That's what she said. This is like, this is what I want to be. It's what I want to do. At least she's admitting it, right? And so, very secure. If your daughter sees you as a man and she senses your emotional presence and your care for her and how you care for her mother, it'll create for her a sense of, I'm comfortable. I'll, that's what I want to be. That's the kind of man I want to marry. Secondly, they'll easily relate to the opposite sex. Because these daughters with these kind of dads have little problem loving and supporting their husbands. And they will be complimentary to the husbands later on because they were with their daddies. You remember, guys, in a marriage ceremony when a woman comes down the aisle and she's wearing white, which represents purity. If she has a veil, it represents her virginity. And somebody's walking her down the aisle. And who is that? It's her daddy. Why? Why in a Christian marriage is that so? Because it is that man who is the only man in her life that she's given her heart to. And in that man called dad, she finds a sense of security, a sense of protection, and a sense of identity. And so in the ceremony, when the pastor says, who gives this woman to be with this man? Who speaks? 
the dad. And then he takes the hand of that daughter and places it in the hand of a man. And he's given that man a gift. And that man, hopefully, because of the security of that woman, she's learned how to pick a guy. She's learned how to get a man of good character. She knows that this man she's saying yes to is like her daddy. And that dad entrusts his daughter to that man. Remember Chuck Swindoll, when he described his process of doing that, he said, I felt like I was handing a Stradivarius violin to a gorilla. <laughs> kind of freaked him out. But nonetheless, that's what you do. That's why we do that. And so, thirdly, and you probably don't want to hear this if you're a father of a daughter, but you will help your daughter have a highly fulfilled sex life. You're going, oh no, I don't want that. <laughs> With their husband. Because sex for a woman, Ben, is directly related to two things. Trust and admiration. Trust and admiration. Remember, in the physical nature of a man-woman, remember women are in a submissive posture. Their bodies are in a submissive posture. They receive the man. It's a very... Um, Scary position for a woman to be in. Unless that man who's moving into her, she trusts and admires. You see that? But if she doesn't trust and she doesn't admire, it's scary, scary, scary for a woman. I'm not a woman, but I, I'm sure it'd be frightening. You see that? So if she's got that husband, that father, it creates a sense of security for her when she marries that kind of man. And if dad as a man represented these qualities to her, he's laid a great foundation for her and a good physical life with her and her husband later on. Okay, if he's not there, in other words, if he's not involved, he's not supportive, there's little relationship, number one, daughters will become shy, insecure, anxious, and have difficulty in family relationships. And they'll develop personalities that are shy, insecure, anxious, and they'll have difficulty in family relationships. And they'll definitely have difficulty in bonding with their husbands. If dad was not there or he was not a good dad. Or they will become inappropriately self-assertive, angry, and or promiscuous. Even uh, leading to homosexuality where women take on either role because of the pain in the relationship with their parent. Okay? James Dobson once said, if a dad withholds godly affection from his daughter, he's putting her in the backseat of a car with a stranger. All right. Lastly, so what can dads do here? Point A. Dads can 
First and foremost, guys, A, establish with my wife a firm commitment of what it means to be a real woman. By the way, you might want to get this uh, podcast and listen to it with your wife, guys, if you got a daughter. And just talk, talk about it with your daughter. And your wife may be upset a little bit, but you can talk about it with her. Because in the strategy of, of launching your children into the world, which is governed by an opposing force, uh, it's our strategy and job as Christian parents to do a good job with our relationship and giving clarity to both a son and a daughter of what they are created to be by their God. So, establish with my wife a firm commitment of what it means to be a real woman. And here's what a real woman is. You guys ready? Same thing as the definition of a man. A real woman is one who rejects worldly temptations for significance. A real woman is one who rejects worldly temptations for significance. And see, part of the challenge will be rejecting these worldly temptations just as it would be when Eve had the choice of rejecting the temptation from the serpent. Nothing new under the sun. And remember, uh, equality today is the idea if I can compete with a man and be the same, then I can be equal. Listen, that is not from God. God created men and women different in function, equal in value. Different in function, equal in value. Uh, secondly, a real woman is one who believes in God's priorities. And that's uh, the Titus 2, 4, and 5. Be sensible. Women, be sensible. With the priorities of a woman, if she has a husband and children to care for those two people. If you read Proverbs 31, which is, is really the description of a godly woman, you'll discover that woman is not a Victorian picture of a woman. She's not this fragile flower. The Proverbs 30 woman, 31 woman has her own business, but it does not compete with her home. The business is out of her home. And she makes things and she sells them on the market. Why? It says for her home. Not for her identity, but for her home and for her husband and for her children. And then it goes on to say that her husband is known in the marketplace. And it goes on to say her husband acknowledges her and says, many daughters have done nobly. This is from the words of her husband. Many daughters have done nobly, but you, my wife, excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised by her husband and more importantly, by her creator. And the Bible says, when a woman submits into her husband, she does so as unto the Lord. And so the reflection of how a woman relates to her husband is a reflection of her own personal walk with God and how she relates to Jesus Christ. So a, a godly woman believes in those priorities. Thirdly, a real woman nurtures the next generation. Uh, nurtures the next generation. 1 Timothy 2.15 talks about some of this, that 
uh, a woman who rejects the temptation of Eve preserves her legacy, her children. Okay? Because she's there for them. And so uh, this idea then, as a woman would see her husband, her home, her children, and godly character, she will see, guys, those four things. Her husband, her home, her children, and her godly character. She'll see those things as priority. Most important. Um, let's see if I can quote this quote from Barbara Bush. Uh, she was invited to be the commencement speaker at Wellesley College, which is an all-women's college. And, it, and I just tell you guys, what women are learning at Wellesley College is not to be submissive to a man. <laughs> when she came, the women at the college protested, and they said she represents the past. Barbara Bush came and spoke nonetheless. Let's see if I can read this. She said... Quote, the choice that most, the choice that uh, must not be missed as a woman is to cherish their human connection at the end of your life. You will never regret not having passed one more test, not winning one more verdict, or not closing one more deal. She told the women, you will regret time not spent with a husband, not spent with a child, or not spent with a parent. That's what you'll regret, the human connection. It's pretty wise from a woman who represents the past, right? Okay, uh, last thing, guys. A real woman is one who expects God's greater reward. Expects God's greater reward. In 1 Timothy 4.8, the scripture says, Godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Godly, a godly woman. 1 Timothy 4.8. If you're married to a godly woman, as I am, let me tell you, many have done nobly, but my wife excels them all. And she will do you good, the Bible says in Proverbs 31, and not evil all of her days. A godly woman. And if you're not married, if you get a godly woman, let me tell you, you got a good thing. So point B, help mom, guys. Help her if you can. Stay at home with the children, especially in the formative years, those critical formative years. You know the take your daughters to work day? Who came up with that? You ever heard of that? Take your daughters to work. Why? Why? So that women can understand how to compete with men in the marketplace and find their life outside of their identity and the priority of being a wife and a mom. Well, William Maddox, listen to this. This is so great. This, is in, this was in uh, the Wall Street Journal. William Maddox uh, took his daughter to work in April 1994, on the celebrating Take Your Daughter to Work Day. So he arranged for his eight-year-old daughter, Allison, to accompany him to the place and employment in Washington, D.C. The morning of their adventure, Maddox detailed his plans in the, in the Wall Street Journal. Allison was scheduled to meet with two women who call regularly on members of Congress. 
At lunch, the eight-year-old was going to talk with a female accountant who also does some public speaking. The afternoon was going to be spent in the company of a woman who practiced law, who once practiced law and now manages a team of writers. The best part of Allison's education, he said, is going to be on the way home from work. This is what he writes. I'm sure all this will be interesting to Allison, but at the time I'm most looking forward to is the ride home, for it is then that I plan to point out to my daughter that some of the exciting tasks carried out by my female colleagues in the workplace are tasks my wife performed in jobs she held prior to motherhood. She used to meet regularly with members of congressmen and senators. She used to do some writing and public speaking, and she was a Phi Beta Kappa key from her college days. And after I remind my daughter of these things, I plan to turn to her and look her in the eye and say, Allison, you must be a very special young woman. Your mother could be using her talents and skills in all sorts of jobs in the workplace, but... She has chosen instead to use them at home, teaching you. She must love you very, very, very much and think you are extremely important. Somehow, he said, I think at that moment, my daughter's self-esteem will rise to a level hereto unimagined by the organizers of Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And for that, I owe a debt of gratitude to my wife, whose esteem-building job as a mother at home rarely receives the public esteem it deserves. Pretty cool, huh? Um, see, support, honor, and cheer for true feminine value as a dad for your wife and for your daughters. And then point D, date your daughter and stay involved in their lives on a personal level. Guys, uh, date her, admire her, dote on her, love on her in a godly way, affectionately, and capture her heart. And one of the things you can do in the process, here's the book, and on puberty for your daughter, so you got on one side a guy and another side a girl, and for your wife, she can take your daughter when she's going through puberty, 12, 13, 14, and it processes all the things that are happening to her body. And all the stuff about what it means to be a woman is all wrapped up in here in this purity covenant. And that's what you would do. And encourage your wife to do this with your daughter. Then what happens is um, also at this time, the dad can come back and you can give your daughter a locket. And the locket basically has her initials carved in it, and then it has another place, and it could be a heart or something. But I've just seen these things where it has her initials carved in it, and then it has a blank space for the man she ends up marrying. And so that that locket then is a preservation of her body and soul so that uh, when she is dating, she's not going to, give herself to a guy because the only guy that she's going to give herself to is the guy that, that encar engraves his initials in that locket. And that's the man who says, will you marry me? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of a, a covenant sort of deal you can give to your daughter so that she understands that uh, this thing given to her by her dad is her purity 
and only be given away to one man who puts his initials in that locket. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of a cool idea. It could be a ring. It could be something you give her that's special. That, so that it has her as a reminder. Just think about it. Some guy may look at that and go, what's that? He goes, well, that's, that's not for you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when uh, I asked my wife to marry me. I'm sorry. Uh, when I wanted to kiss my wife, I, I remember uh, when we were dating, I put my arm around her and I said, it's the first time I ever said this to her, and I, and I definitely meant it, but I also wanted to kiss her. And I put my arm around her, and I said, honey, I love you. And she looked at me, and she said, thank you. Whoa, you're about putting cold water on the fire, you know. Ain't happening. Because my wife had committed that uh, she wasn't going to kiss anybody uh, until the man said, will you marry me? So I didn't get to kiss her until she said yes. Dang. You know what? It's a protection for your daughter. Uh, the problem with our culture today, guys, is women, women are no longer the gatekeepers, are they? You look at movies today and you find young women are incredibly aggressive. All I can tell you is that's not true. Women are not that way. Women are more modest, period. God just created them that way. As much as the culture tries to tell you or pornography tries to tell you what women are like, it's not true. Women are just modest and afraid. And uh, young women may act in a very inappropriate way. You know why? Because the apple's dangling out there and they think they need to bite it. You know? And so, ah, it's crazy. And so the women aren't the gatekeepers anymore. They're saying, hey, if you want to have your way with me, go ahead. Women are like, guys are like, wow. So sad. It's the way our culture is, right? We have to be vigilant. So anyway, guys, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for uh, daughters. I know my wife is a daughter, one of three. Thank you for her and uh, for her father and mother. They stayed married for over 50 years and uh, weren't perfect, but modeled at least a sense of commitment. And uh, Father, I pray that as the men in this room represent you and their masculinity, I pray, God, for those that are married, that uh, they would engage their wives on this very important issue, uh, especially if they have daughters, and in a godly way, a tender, sensitive way, and also the daughters in the room. I pray that uh, you would protect them from the evil one that is so prevalent out there today to disguise himself as an angel of light, appearing to women in a way and the form of uh, careerism and uh, independence from men that uh, will ultimately starve them to death the older they get because they move away from their creator. Father, would you uh, please make us a group of men that would identify ourselves distinctly as followers of Jesus Christ in obedience to the word of God. Thank you so much for not leaving us drifting in this culture, but giving us the truth that collides with it, but nonetheless we can agree with it and align ourselves with it and you, God. In Christ's name, amen.